Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This is NBA Today, live from Los Angeles. Coming up on NBA Today, we take a look at the win-loss projections for the Eastern Conference. Who deserves the top spot? We discuss. Plus, there was plenty of action this weekend. Check in with who showed out during the summer runs. And, of course, the Murray Blancaro beef. Also, the young Grizzlies are drawing motivation from Draymond Green. And also much more NBA Today starts now. Welcome in to NBA Today. I'm LaChina Robinson filling in from Lika Andrews, joined alongside NBA champion Matt Barnes and ESPN reporter Jamal Collier. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here with me today. So much to talk about. Let's jump into Eastern Conference predictions, taking a look at the projected win totals. Let's see if you guys think there are any surprises here. The Celtics and Bucks both projected to win 54 games. But Boston finished finished percentage points ahead of Milwaukee in the projections. The Nets, who still have, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on their roster, came out just below 500 with 40 wins. Maybe a shocker to some. So things are projected to go well for Giannis and the Bucks yet again. No surprise there. Um, what does their offseason tell you about the belief in their core group and essentially just running it back? We'll start with you, Jamal. The Bucs really believe that last season they had built the best team. And I think that they took Boston to seven games despite the injury to Chris Middleton. If Middleton doesn't slip and fall in that Chicago series, they feel like they had a chance to win it and at least get back to the finals and have a chance to repeat as champions. I think the one thing for the Bucs they wanted to add was some shooting and especially something on the wing. You lose Dante DiVincenzo at the trade deadline and that trade for Serge Ibaka. And they're hoping to replace that with Joe Ingles. And they're not sure what you're going to get from Joe Ingles coming off the, the ACL injury at the end of the season from him. But if he can add anything to this core group that's been playing with each other for a while they just think they got the best player everything around them fits and I think they got it they feel like they got a chance to be right back in the finals again I think a lot of people felt like the loss of Middleton kept them from going to the finals and I say that with all due respect to Boston obviously you have to win with who's there and who didn't and Boston was able to get over the hump but I think Middleton and health for this team is important. As we just mentioned, Joe Ingles to me is the big pickup but he's coming off an ACL so we're gonna have to see how that works in but very Good uh, playmaker, uh, very uh, very intuitive, uh, a really high basketball IQ guy that can obviously stretch the floor and make plays for other guys. So it'll be interesting to see. But I definitely feel like as a team, a healthy team, they have the best team in the East. Well, and it's really easy to understand how the injury to Middleton kind of can take you out of your chemistry, your continuity. So being healthy, to your point, is definitely something that you consider. Jamal, we've seen photos and Instagram posts of Giannis just enjoying his offseason. What are you hearing about his preparation headed into the season. Well, I mean, they pushed Boston to the edge because of how good Giannis was and the way he figured them out through the rest of that series and was hanging 40 balls on him every night. Uh, you know, the Bucks, the some of the flashbacks to their parade and the championship last year, you forget how late that was. It was just into end of, end of uh, July, so he really did not have Giannis and a lot of those guys did not have the full offseason for them. And I think 
for him having a chance to rest. He had a lot on his plate last year. He played a lot more center than he normally does with Brooke Lopez injured. He was playmaking a lot more when Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton were both hurt. So giving Giannis a chance to rest and come back, we know this guy gets better every time he gets a chance to work on his game. Uh, I'm excited to see what he's going to add. If there's one person I'm not going to worry about in the offseason, it's going to be Giannis. Uh, you know, as Jamal said, he's continued to improve leaps and bounds every year. There was always a knock on him. He couldn't do this. He couldn't do that. He's continued to prove everyone wrong through his hard work alone and then just that heart he has. So, like I said, you're always going to need some rest. He's carrying a heavy, heavy load, particularly with Middleton out um, at the end of the playoffs. But the one person I never worry about is Giannis. I look to see him continue to improve and lead his team where they need to be. Yeah, never any question about his hunger and his right. desire to win for sure. Another Eastern Conference playoff team that last season more or less stood pat in the offseason. Not a lot of move, but the Bulls. Jamal, what can you tell us about Lonzo Ball coming back from injury and his preparation headed into the season? They've been very vague about Lonzo's exact status. Remember, he had an injury in January, the meniscus injury that they said six to eight weeks, four to six weeks was the initial timeline. He never played again. Every time they tried to ramp him up and really get him going into action, he had a bit of a setback. So I think that, you know, I've talked to somebody in Lonzo's camp that's expressing some confidence that he'll be able to ready to go for the start of the season. But, you know, just me speculating, I could see them slow playing Lonzo a little bit to make sure he's 100% and really ready to go because you saw the way their season changed in January once he got hurt. And really, they didn't have both him and Caruso on the floor. They just didn't have a chance to defend anybody out there. So Lonzo's really important to this team. And they got to make sure he's at 100%. I mean, they took huge leaps, and I think they surprised themselves at some point. You know, they peaked at one at some point last year. Uh, I, th I think the end of February uh, in the Eastern Conference. So, again, health is going to be key for that backcourt because they were so dynamic defensively. And then Bulls fans, to me, obviously you want the security of Vucevic re-signing, but knowing that he's playing on his last deal, you know he's going to bring every, you know, he's going to play every night like it's his last. So you're going to have a motivated center as well. You max out Levine. You get DeRozan back. Uh, I think the Bulls are a lot better than, you know, where we have him slated right now. Yeah, and when you look at DeRozan in particular, at one point he was definitely in the MVP conversation. Do you mm -hmm. expect him to get back there? I think there's definitely a chance. I mean, he's a smart veteran player that, 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 you know, maximizes everything from being able to slow down the game and run through the game from the pinch post or the post. But just that also that veteran presence and voice in that locker room they need. Zach Levine is their workhorse. Again, they got Vucevic, a healthy backcourt. And this team should be, to me, a top six in the Eastern Conference. Well, they were definitely exciting to watch last season. Jamal, thank you so much for joining us. What are summers like in the Midwest? You, you liking this, <laughs> this West Coast thing? Right now, it's the best time to be in Chicago. I'm liking You're right. to leave it. Catch me in a couple of months, though. I'll be trying to come out here and hang with you. No, I just possible. came from, from Chicago during the WNBA All-Star, and wow, what a magical, fun place. Thank you so much for joining us. We now welcome in Anscape senior writer Mark Spears. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. Um, in this conversation, in your opinion, when we look at the East. Are the Bucks and Celtics clear-cut favorites compared to the rest of the conference? Mm, we got to give some love to Philly, too. Um, I've been seeing James Harden's workouts at UCLA. He looks like he's in great shape. Joel Embiid is, is an MVP. Uh, Doc Rivers, Tyrese, and, and getting P.J. Tucker, who's basically the Harden stopper. <laughs> so Harden doesn't have to worry about him anymore. Uh, let, let's keep an eye on Philly, but I like the Celtics a lot. Adding Malcolm Brogdon was outstanding pickup for them. That that was what they sorely missed in the NBA Finals. And then getting Gallinari to come off the bench, uh, to me, they had a lot of wasted spots on the Celtics bench last season, and that's paramount when you're trying to win a championship. So to add these two vets uh, to a very, very young team, to a team that's now experienced the Finals, 
I still like the Celtics uh, because of their offseason moves uh, to return to the NBA Finals, although the Sixers and also the, the Bucks, and uh, we'll see where the Nets are. Uh, uh, probably could be right on their heels. We're definitely gonna let's not sleep on Miami either. I'm, I'm naming everybody. I was going to say, you <laughs> haven't really made a decision here, Mark. Um, and I want to follow up a little bit first with you, Matt, on um, you know just talking about the scoring for the Celtics. Do you think with the changes they can put up enough points? Because we saw them falter some there in, in their run. Well, I mean, the, the, the key has been, you know, who is going to be their point guard. Marcus Smart has done a tremendous job of filling in that role. I threw it out there last year wildly thinking it would never happen. I said, man, if the Boston, uh, the Celtics can get Brogdon, that's a whole new level. Brogdon is someone who picks and chooses his spot very well. He's a playmaker. He knocks down threes, and he also plays defense. So I think between that and then adding someone like Gallinari, I mean, you're not signing him for his defense. You know, all he does is score at this point in his career. So I think the experience that Jason Tatum got in the finals last year where he didn't play well, he took his knocks, he's heard all the criticism, he's going to be so much better for that this year. So I agree with Mark. I mean, to me, it's it, it, it's not clear-cut, but there are obviously those two at the top of the class. I definitely agree with that. Well, Mark, you brought up the Nets, so we'll take a look at the over-under here. But they were picked ninth in this prediction. Um, you see right above them Chicago. We already talked about them. Cleveland, Atlanta at six. Um, and Boston finished just a few points ahead of Milwaukee in those prediction projections. So we're looking at numbers again. But when you think about where – Brooklyn is slated to finish. Do you think that has everything to do with their pieces being in flux or maybe there's just not a lot of faith in them having the right pieces altogether? Well, it's like we, we don't know what it is, right? <laughs> and we don't not even know from a basketball standpoint in terms of who's going to be on the roster, but what is their mentality going to be? Even if Kevin's back, even if Kyrie's back, uh, is it going to be kumbaya or is it going to be angry in that training camp? There's a lot of unknowns. So, yeah, I was one of the people that, on our staff that, you know, picked the projections. I don't know. Shoot, only God knows what they're going to be. Uh, there's just too many question marks. Is Ben going to be healthy? Is Ben going to uh -huh. play? I don't, I don't know. They they could be one, and they could be out the playoffs. And they're, they're, <laughs> there's no harder team in sports. Right. Not just the NBA. There is no harder team in sports right now. Uh, whether, you know, now what Kevin wants, still wants to go, there, there's reports like there's no other team in sports that is harder to predict than the Brooklyn Nets. Well, you have now, you're no longer anonymous, so we know you are a part of this group of projections. So now the questions get much yeah. harder. Matt, how, how about you? What do you think about Brooklyn? If we're talking basketball and we're talking Kyrie Irving putting basketball near the top of his list, if not at the top of his list, we're talking about a Kevin Durant, no matter what you hear on and off the court when he plays, he's giving it his all. If we're talking about a healthy Ben Simmons, Joe Harris coming back, uh, and a few other pieces, if we're talking straight basketball, as Mark said, this team has the talent to be the number one team in the East. But we're, what we found out with this team since uh, KD and Kyrie have joined is it's always been the outside noise. And that's what's been so hard to figure out what this team is about. So if they can science the outside noise, we're hearing some stuff develop today. We're not sure in how true it is off KD's meeting with uh, Joe Tsai. So if we're talking straight basketball and they put basketball to the forefront, this team is a top three team in the Eastern Conference. That's quite a swing. We heard one for Brooklyn. We heard nine for Brooklyn. So, uh, yeah, still four, a lot to, to... 15 for Brooklyn. Four, right. 15 for Brooklyn. They make some trades. Who knows who's going to be on that team? Yes, well, we also always love to talk projections and predictions, but who knows? All right, still to come on NBA Today. It got a little heated this weekend between DeJounte Murray and Paulo Bencaro. 
was it friendly fire or legitimate beef? Also, we recap Sue Bird's last game in Seattle, plus her impact on the WNBA and the legacy she's built over the last 20 years. And last but not least, it's August 8th. Yes, 8-8. So it's only right to pay homage to the best player to ever wear the number eight. More to come on NBA Today after the break. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. You're watching NBA Today, live from Los Angeles. NBA Summer League wrapped three weeks ago, but that doesn't mean the players stopped hooping. Let's recap the best of summer runs this weekend. Quick question, has anyone been louder than DeJounte Murray this offseason? Like, what? got a lot to, talk, lot to say. Well, DeJounte Murray also is from Seattle, right? And he's the king of Seattle with Jamal Crawford gone. And so when you look at this beef that he has right here with uh, Bancaro, to me, I think it's telling the number one pick in the draft, who's also from Seattle, this is my town. Mm. We bring in a lot of people in the NBA, but this is me. You, you're going to have to get this young fella. And uh, that's, in a weird way, and Matt, I think you'd uh, understand this. That's respect, too. I see Matt in the San Francisco Pro-Am, and, them, <laughs> them, and, and they're actually in their playoffs tonight. They're in their finals tonight, so go check that out at Kizar. But it gets heated. Especially mm-hmm. when you got somebody from your hometown trying to take your spot. So right now, I think Dejounte Murray's trying to tell the number one pick, "I don't care who you are, I am Mr. Seattle." I love it, and and I think shout out to my brother Jamal Crawford and, and everyone who's came out of Seattle. So what what I like is Seattle's always been great at the OGs giving back to the youngsters, helping them, you know, giving them that hand and that support. I hope this is just competitiveness and, and, and letting young fella know you still got some more to do until you get on to my level. Um, it's been a hot summer for DeJounte. He's one of my young, uh, my favorite young players, uh, obviously signing in Atlanta now. But I think this is good for basketball, and I hope it just stays as, hey, there's still, you know, there's levels to this, and it doesn't turn to anything different because you see the back and forth on, uh, on social media, and you just hope it keeps like a, a OG young fella type of relationship because that's what's made Seattle so great in the past is the older players have always put their hand back for the younger players and showed them the ropes. 
Well, we did I'll see the move. I'll tell you this real quick. Uh, I got into it with, I had a question with Ben Carroll during the NCAA tournament. And I said, well, what's the best city for basketball in terms of producing players? And he said, Seattle. And then he started adding like Tacoma in there. Yeah, I'm like, stop it, young fella. You, I said Seattle. I didn't say the state of Washington. Right. Cali's number one. Come on, let him know, but, Mark. You know, I'll, I'll give you respect on Seattle. Well, and I feel like you guys are being a little kind because the exact <laughs> words for Murray were, that's who y'all came to right. see. It's a man's league too soft. So you understand how Ben Carroll was a little bit upset. I mean, those are some pretty strong words. Going to have to come out and prove it, though. You know what I mean? I, I think, obviously, and I think that's going to lead into the next thing. But that number one draft status above your head, you're going to get tried. I mean, this was this one draft alone, we felt like th any three guys could have went number one. So there's always guys behind him that feel like they should have went number one. And then you see as DeJounte Murray, this is his welcome to the NBA type situation. Like, everyone guns for that number one spot. But the one thing about Paolo is he's a big body. I know he's very talented. I know he'll be up to the challenge. But this is not going to be the last time we see people coming at him like this, and I think he knows that. Well, and what's different from the old days of trash talking, right? Like, he makes a great move here, um, you know, talking some trash going to the bench but now it goes to social media like and you get to go on and on and this conversation has like don't you just leave it on the court this is the new era this is this is where trash talking goes now and this is where most of the trash talking takes place is on social media like I said in Mark's area had to be face to face you know you used to have to say <laughs> something to the person when you've seen him this time it's social media yeah. but again I hope it just stays as kind of OG young fella yeah. this is the ropes instead of turning into something different hey, yeah. and, and to Matt's point Seattle is kind of got a fraternity now that's special they have a, a group of young players in the NBA and, and former players like Jamal Crawford uh, that they, Isaiah Thomas, they, they all mentor each other and they bring each other up. So yeah, let's in social media world, it could get ugly. It's, it's like a, a invisible gang that goes at each other <laughs> right. back and forth, right. but they mean too much to that next generation yep. of kids coming from Seattle that they, they can't let this be more than anything, but, uh, some simple trash talk. Hopefully Jamal's called a meeting of the mind. You know, Jamal Crawford yeah. runs the show out there, so hopefully he'll bring them two together and make sure it just stays on the court. Well, that wasn't yeah, the... had Doug Christie show up either now. Oh, goodness. Uh, well, that wasn't <laughs> the only disrespectful move this weekend. Royce O'Neal uh. dropped his own mother with the spin move. And what I thought was so crazy is he looks down at his mom, and then he's going to finish the bucket you right gotta here. Finish. You got to finish. He left her down there. You got to finish. Mama O'Neal, you need a better... Uh, sense of you got to come down a little bit. You got to put your forearm on him. You can't lean because he's looking for that body weight to lean. So I'm going to coach her up a little bit on defense, but I mean, you got to love this. I mean, mom's out there playing with her son, and of course, the son's got to score. Then you go help your mom up. Yeah, after you well, score well, the bucket. When she's. Uh... When somebody's under 40 years old, it's funny when they fall. When they're over 40, it's, you got to go you hold your breath. Them, man. You know, you hold it, your it, breath. It, it could be a yeah, you, injury, so. you just kind of uh, lay I, there I'm for a minute. I'm glad mama was okay. I was worried for a second. For real. But I don't know if mama will be cooking dinner that night. I mean, she might be on strike for a little while. You should have went and picked her up. She went viral. She went viral. She went viral. She's going to be all right. All right. Finally, Jalen Green was hosting a camp in Fresno and went one-on-one -on -one with this camp. Check out the dream shake from this kid, Matt. I mean, in my opinion, Jalen was just trying to give the young fella no, a highlight. Uh -uh. Or was that a real I move? think he was trying to block this. And in quick story, I remember when uh, Kobe used to do his camp in Santa Barbara, and I went up there one time coming off a of knee surgery, not really with it, and we're playing these kids two-on-two two or three-on-three. And Kobe took this game so serious. He was blocking these kids' shot, knocked the kid down, dunked on him. Don't believe that these NBA players want to let these, especially now because moments like this will go viral. I think Jalen Green was really trying to send that 
out of the gym and the kid gave him the up and under and scored. So shout out to Little Man for going viral. Wow, Mark, you think that was a real move, a real fake? Everything was legit? Quick, he traveled. That's okay. I'm actually surprised that they have uh, gyms with hardwood floors in Fresno. That's the sound they stay get, dig. They'll get it. Um, but no, man, this is beautiful. And, and Jalen Green, I've known him since he was 17, probably as old as that kid that faked him out. Just a, a, a beautiful person on the court, off the court. He's done so much in the Fresno area to give back and help people. And he really uh, takes into account the, the big brother he is, the mentor he is, the uh, and so that, I'm not surprised that he was doing something there. Well, that little guy has a highlight that's going to last, oh, no last him a lifetime in front of all his friends, too. So great moment. All right. Coming up on NBA Today, one of the greatest to ever do it um, is about to hang him up. That's right. That's Sue Bird. Monica McNutt will join us on Sue Bird's Legacy. Plus, we all know Ooh. Draymond Green is no stranger to stirring the pot. What the Grizzlies are using as motivation heading into next season. And speaking of the Grizzlies and Warriors, we asked our panel what the best rivalry in the game is today. Keep it locked. NBA Today is just getting started. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really... Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. How do you mentally prepare for the last ride? If that chant hadn't happened, I don't know that I'd be sitting here. To be able to do something and get paid for it that you love to do, you know, that's got to be everyone's dream. With the first pick of the 2002 WNBA draft, the Seattle Storm select Sue Bird. Nobody better it really hit home. I want to share that with my family, my friends, anybody who's watched me growing up. This is it. Welcome back to NBA Today. I'm LaChina Robinson, back with Matt Barnes. Monica McNutt joins us now, one of my favorite humans on the planet. Hey, Monica, how are you? Hey, girl, what's up, Matt? How you doing? Look at you in that chair. It looks good on you, friend. Listen, well, thank you for joining us. It looks good on me because I'm about to talk WNBA. Good thing you missed the NBA segment. No, I'm just kidding, Monica. Thanks for being with us. Well, last night was Sue Bird's final regular season home game for the Storm, which was spoiled by the Las Vegas Aces, by the way. They beat Seattle. 89 to 81, but Sue Bird was the story. She was honored before the game by the home crowd. It was a sellout crowd in a heartwarming moment. She even received a little flower from a young fan. That is so cute. Um, and then after the game, Sue Bird addressed the Seattle crowd. I just made a joke. I, I heard that thank you Sue chant. And I was like, well, thank God it's not a one more year chant. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart how thankful 
I am. Not only for today and all of you showing up and supporting us, but for 21 years. I can't even tell you how amazing this whole season has been, this moment has been. We're not done, we're definitely not done, but I just wanna say I love you, thank you so much, and I'll see you in the playoffs. No one does it better than Sue. Well, LeBron James was watching from home and tweeted, Seattle was rocking today for Sue Bird's last home game. I may have to make a trip up there before the summer's out and get a run in. And LeBron, that was her last regular season game at home. You can definitely check her in the playoffs. Um, so LeBron seemed to be having a good time watching Sue Bird's regular season, her last regular season home game. I did. When you talk about Sue Bird and her legacy, She's an icon, 21 years in Seattle, um, arguably the best point guard to ever play the game, five Olympic gold medals, four championships, all-time leader in assists, all-time leader in games played. The list goes on and on. Monica, how would you describe Sue's legacy, in particular with the Seattle Storm, since this was her last regular season home game? Honestly, Latrina and Matt, the first word that comes to mind for me is longevity. Mm -hmm. And I think her sustained success over, as you mentioned, Latrina, 21 years, I mean, that's a lifetime, right? Like, there are young women that grew up as fans of the WNBA and literally grew over the course of her career. And so I think we sometimes have these folks like a Sue, right? Like a Tom Brady, like a LeBron, who lull us into the idea that winning is the expectation and is the standard. And while that is certainly a compliment to their body of work, I don't think that we should ever be lulled to sleep at just how difficult it is to win, especially a Seattle franchise that was not at the top of the league when Sue first got there, LaChina, as I'm sure you remember. Absolutely remember. And, you know, when you look at Sue's winning, we talked about everything in the W. We talked about, you know, Olympic golds, also won at Connecticut as well. But I go back to the 21 years, Matt, in Seattle, mm -hmm. in one place. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's rare these days. Very rare. I mean, we came in the same year, oh, too. I'm five years removed. I couldn't imagine still playing basketball right now. <laughs> and for, for her to be able to stay healthy enough, and, and, and like Monica mentioned, the 21 years alone, if she didn't have any other accolades, to play at the highest level a game can give you for 21 years and always being a main contributor, I mean, that's amazing. And, and obviously, we're just talking about what, how brilliant she's been off the court. She has been breaking down barriers off the court uh, with her movement and what she stands for as well. So she's just someone who is a legend, an icon, and someone that not only little girls and, and grown women can look up, but everyone can look up to. I mean, you think about it, her career has kind of run parallel with LeBron James. So that's why when he was, you know, very quick to, you know, give her a shout out. She's been one of my favorite players, uh, you know, since she's came in the game and just really a salute to the longevity, the way she's carried herself on and off the court. And then, like she said, they're not done yet. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned Sue Bird, the advocate, because right. what she's done off the court has been just as important mm -hmm. as everything she's done on. All right. Although Sue Bird was the headline on Sunday, the aces in the storm featured the two WNBA front runners for MVP. Asia Wilson finished with 29 points to spoil Bird's final, despite Brianna Stewart's best effort as she put up 35 and 10. Now, here's a look at their numbers when they're stacked up against each other. So far this year, Stewie leads the league in points at almost 22 per game, but Wilson is putting up 19 and 9 on 51% shooting from the field. Monica, I am going to lean on you on this one. Heading into the Girl. final week of the season, got to do it. Who's your MVP? I just want to say, for the record, this show is not supposed to be first take-ish, where they make you choose between right. two excruciating <laughs> and difficult today. choices. It is today. Today it is. I'm giving the slightest edge to Asia. Um, and I think, 
I've got to look at the totality of what she's been able to do in terms of vote scoring and rebounding. I mean, the numbers aren't, aren't even it for me. But here's how I actually came to this decision, LaChina and Matt. And tell me if I'm tripping. When you look at the evolution of Plum and the evolution of Jackie Young, to me, they are not set up for that success if Asia Wilson is not able to be the constant after this team looks different in terms of the pieces and the head coach changing this particular year. And so when I just think of the way that she's able to set up the entire team, and you can't quite quantify that in stats, I give the slightest nod to Asia. And that's so interesting because there's two ways to look at it. The way you just presented it as though, you know, she's got great players around her, but they're great because she's good. And then on mm-hmm. Stewart's side, you know, her supporting cast hasn't been as strong. So is she the MVP because she has had to do more? Matt, just in terms of the concept there, do you have a It's opinion? tough. I mean, and that's what makes voting so tough because, I mean, is she the most valuable player to her team or the most valuable player to the league? Like you said, obviously, Stu has to do a little bit more heavy lifting, but the ability to make people around you better is always a very special and underlooked talent and quality. So, again, this is going to be a toss-up, and we'll have to see what happens. I love that take. Okay, WNBA, Matt, we got you. (laughs) All right, the MVP race isn't the only one happening over the final week of the season. Take a look at the current standings as they sit. Who will get home court advantage is still up in the air, but what we do know is that five teams have already clinched the playoff spot. The Wings are probably going to do that. Their chances are good with a win tonight um, against the Liberty or sometime in the next few games that they have left and there actually are three teams that have locked up home court advantage so I'm pretty sure it's the sky the aces and the sun so there's one more spot left for a team to to host in the first round Monica if you had to choose who you feel will get in in those last two spots seven and eight say Dallas does secure a spot and there's six of that that last Um, few through 11 who do you think gets in I like the momentum that the Liberty have been playing with as of late, but I also think you can't knock what the Dream have going in terms of the youth. And, of course, the urgency that is pressing upon the Phoenix Mercury. So, all right, I just gave you a whole bunch of answers. All right, if I had to pick two, uh, I think I'm going to go Libs and Dream. I mean, Libs and Dream. Well, there's still a lot to be decided. I know that a lot of people want to see Minnesota in because they want Syl to have a run into the playoffs in her final season. The Dream do have to face New York twice. So that the, the two games between those two teams might end up deciding this all. Diana Taurasi has been injured in recent games. So, you know, Phoenix, not quite sure. But they did get a win against New York without Skylar Diggins-Smith, without Diana Taurasi. Shout out to Diamond DeShields and Shea Petty. So a lot of things happening, but I think you made a selection, kind of, sort of. I think. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll leave with that. Okay, one of the teams that is chasing one of those final playoff spots is the Sparks. And they had some travel issues last night following their game in Washington, D.C. Let's take a listen to Neka Ogumake. Yeah, so we are roaming the airport. First time in my 11 seasons that I've ever had to sleep in the airport, but based on travel, it's not expected that this has happened. It's basically, it was only a matter of time. So half of us are sleeping in the airport, half of us are at a hotel. There weren't enough rooms. After our flight got delayed, delayed, delayed canceled, delayed, delayed, and then canceled at 1 a.m. And then rebooked for first thing in the morning. So. It is now 1.44, and we're here till 9 a.m. I doubled up my clothes, y'all, getting cozy. 
In addition yes. to this, Sparks assistant coach Latricia Trammell posted a picture of chairs from the airport with the caption, our beds tonight. Hashtag these players deserve better. Hashtag charter hashtag. Uh, very disturbing, um, obviously, and we all know that the WNBA does not charter. Monica, what is your reaction to the Sparks having to spend the night at the airport? We know that uh, the travel has been a thorn in the league side in terms of its relationship with taking care of its players for a while. But today, more than ever, that phrase competitive balance uh, sort of struck me because Making these teams fly commercial doesn't necessarily, as we see, achieve a competitive balance either uh, because you are now subject to the elements. I think NECA is one who is very deliberate and intentional about her words as the president of the WNBA Players Player Association. Um, and when she says that this was only a matter of time, that is eerily painful and highly unacceptable. Um, this is something that needs to be rectified immediately. I know that there are arrangements this year for the finals teams to charter, but that's just simply not enough. This is unacceptable, and obviously the game will not be moved to take into consideration what the Sparks had to go through. But with six, what, five, six teams separated by a game and this late push in terms of the playoffs, this is unacceptable. This is a definitely a bad look uh, for the WNBA. And again, travel has been something that has been an issue. To the fact that professional athletes have to fly commercial is a red flag first and foremost. And a situation like this happens where you're trying to tell me there's not enough beds in the city. So these women now have right. to sleep in the airport. Um, something needs to be done. Obviously money is an issue when situations like this, but maybe, maybe something where it's just like, you know, maybe the NBA pitches in and helps provide these women with charter. Because I mean, as, as a former athlete, we've had delays before because for technical issues, if it ever got that bad, obviously the whole team would go to a hotel, a five-star hotel and stay the night and then leave the next morning because stuff like this has happened. The, the fact that they're commercial, they have to half sleep in the airport, half sleep in a hotel, and then they still have to hop on a commercial flight the next morning and go try to play a game and be competitive is ridiculous. So creativity will hopefully help solve this. Obviously, we know money is an issue, but maybe this is something where the NBA jumps in and just helps cover travel for these women because there's no way they should be busting, you know, busting their tails the way they do and have to go through stuff like this. Yeah, I was kind of confused about the lack of hotel rooms. I'm like, so they don't even have yeah. enough hotel rooms for everyone? And when you look at the news right now, they're saying that it's only going to get worse in terms of some of the travel issues and delays and cancellations that we've experienced as of late. So here in the last week of the season, the playoff push, these teams are trying to make it in the playoffs. You know, the Sparks have a game tomorrow. So how does that impact them to your point about competitiveness, uh, Monica? So uh, very uh, disappointing situation and definitely sending our thoughts to the L.A. Sparks. All right, we just added this one to the ESPN2 schedule. Friday, that's how big of a game it is. Sue Bird leaves the storm again. Sylvia Fowles in the links. This is the final regular season home game for Fowles and second to last game for Sue Bird. Our coverage begins at 9 Eastern. You will want to see Sylvia Fowles, just one of the greatest to ever do it. Then on Sunday, the final day of the season, we'll have an ABC doubleheader that should have an impact on playoff positioning. Sylvia Fowles once again and the Lynx square off against John Cole Jones in the Sun at 1 Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Then it's Sue Bird in the Storm taking on Asia Wilson and the Aces, another one of those matchups between Stewart and Wilson. This one's on ESPN Deportes as well. Coming up next on NBA Today, 
On 8-8, we dive into the debate on which Kobe was better, number 8 Kobe or number 24 Kobe. I'm glad I don't have to pick. <laughs> NBA Today, we'll be right back. This is Kobe Bryant. This is Jam Session coming at you. Yes. Here we got a dribble drive, change of direction by Bryant. With an emphasis on it. Kobe Bryant. Oh, what a dunk. Hard for human life. What a play. Good as it gets, folks. That brought everybody out of their seat. Here's Bryant. On this show, I know Malika talks about how much she loves Scrabble and words with friends. So here's a fun word to help me lead into this next piece. Octophobia. It means intense fear of the number eight. People with octophobia experience anxiety when they think about or see the number eight. And from 1996 through 2005-2006 NBA season, the competition that faced Kobe Bryant very much had octophobia. So what better time to revisit the legacy of number eight than today, August 8, 8, 8. If you take his career and you divide it up basically in the numbers that he wore, he had two Hall of Fame careers. So it's only right that you need to retire both numbers. Both tried to rip your heart out. Both of them was vicious in their own ways. Kobe Bryant elevating. What did I just see? Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. Just an epic performance by Kobe Bryant. The Black Mamba strikes again. Kobe Bryant came into the NBA as a 17-year-old kid. But former Lakers general manager Jerry West said he knew from the moment he saw him work out that Kobe was special. And for the next 10 years, West watched proudly as the kid wearing number eight grew into a champion. Number eight was just, he was a lot more explosive and athletic. Man, when he went to the basket, he was trying to dunk on you. He was trying to embarrass you. Hammers it down. Number eight, 2000 finals. I had a chance to get my first ring, but no. Some guy named Kobe Bryant comes and snatches all of the glory. Shaquille O'Neal is fouled out. He didn't think they would do it without Shaq out there. And he just made shot after shot and really pretty much willed them to the win. Kobe Bryant lives for this moment where he can actually do his thing, not have to concede for the big fella underneath. And it was just like, man, that, that kid right there, he's, he's the closest thing I've ever seen to Jordan. In overtime, Kobe pulls up, <laughs> hits again. How good is this kid? He completely took over this game. I was like, damn, that's what I'm talking about. And the Lakers survive in game four. Kobe Bryant, who bailed out Shaq and the Lakers in overtime. That was that, he's that dude moment right there for me. Kobe and Shaq won three titles together, and it's hard not to wonder how many more they could have won with each other. But the Lakers felt like they had to choose between them after the 2004 season. And owner Dr. Jerry Buzz picked Kobe. Two years later, Kobe made another change. The Lakers have notified the league Brian will wear 24 next year. Great players do that all the time. They want to re-challenge themselves. I think for him it was just changing numbers and just trying to 
wash away everything that he did with number eight and see if he can duplicate it with number 24. There were different situations, different teammates. His role was different, and he continued to reinvent himself. That's what all-time greats tend to find a way to do. Number 24 wasn't as fast, didn't jump as high, but he was a lot smarter. It was like he found ways to reinvent himself as he got older. He's got that look. He's got that game. 24 was more of a thinker, a guy that played chess while other people were playing the checkers out there. I just saw a much more mellow Kobe. It was the first time I really seen him smile on the basketball court as much as he did. And I think he enjoyed that. I once asked Kobe which number he preferred the Lakers to retire, 8 or 24. He paused for a minute and smiled and said, whichever number they choose, it would be hard for someone else to wear the other one. Kobe doing it the way Kobe does it. I wouldn't put it past Kobe Bryant that he was thinking, you know, I'm going to play 10 more years, I'm going to play number 24, I'm going to have pretty much identical numbers that I had number 8, and they're going to probably have to retire both jerseys. That's the type of guy he is. Fellas, I don't know about you, but that was a very interesting perspective of, you know, young Kobe wearing eight, more athletic, more showmanship. And then, you know, as Kobe matured, kind of gotten older, thinking the game more at number 24. Um, just really interesting to think about. Matt, I'll start with you. You played with Kobe. Which version was mm. better, eight or 24? Mm, number eight gave me a lot of buckets. <laughs> number 24 gave me a lot of buckets. <laughs> Uh, I got a chance to play with number 24, and I think what they touched on was 24 to me, although he was always striving to be the greatest and continue to win championships, he just seemed like he was at peace. Uh, you know, he'd been through the wars early on, well documented, and it was finally his team. He was able to win two more championships and two finals MVPs. Um, each player was very special. If you look down the line, both numbers are very similar, so it was just an honor to get a chance to play against number eight and play with 24. Mark? I think number 24 was uh, at his, at the beginning of it was the most feared player in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Not even because he didn't have the same athleticism. His hair wasn't the same. He didn't have that same afro. But, uh, I mean, he was uh, a surgeon and he scared players and he made everybody better. And he was also a more mature guy who understood the league, understand his place in the world, understand his ability to make a difference in the world. And he won without Shaq. And that, that's certainly something that stands out to me. And uh, he just had a lot of compassion there. He That's the night he got his jersey retired. And he was telling me, hey, man, I'm really happy about what you've been doing with the undefeated. And I'm like, why do you care about what I'm doing? This is your night. And that just showed you what kind of person he was at the end, that even on a night that was special for him, he wanted to give me some kudos. And I'll never forget that. Well, one thing's for sure, 8 or 24, the Mamba was always the killer. Still to come on NBA Today, are the Grizzlies and Warriors the best rivalry in the league? Hear what Matt Barnes has to say about that next as NBA Today rolls on. I've said that about Memphis, like those young guys, they're unfazed by anything. And a large part of the reason that they're unfazed is because they just don't understand how big the moment is. Now, talking to the team that won a championship after they beat you, after they win a championship is an entirely different level of oblivion. Like, it doesn't get much more oblivious than that. And for them, 
you're now going to be expected to win these games. And it's not as easy when teams are coming for you. And so I think now they're going to get their reality check. And it's not that they will still be able to win. They may still be able to win. But they're going to realize how much harder it is for them to win. That was said on our friend J.J. Reddick's podcast, The Old Man and the Three. And apparently someone on the Grizzlies is an avid fan of the pod. This photo was taken inside of the Grizzlies' weight room, quoting Draymond Green, saying Memphis is going to get their reality check. Wow. Keeping in mind, the Grizzlies beat the Warriors in the play-in game in 2021. The Warriors defeated the Grizzlies in the second round of the playoff this season. We know all the history. So, Mark, what are your thoughts on the Grizzlies using Draymond Green as motivation heading into the next season? It's the best rivalry, hands down. Look, opening night, they need to come to San Francisco. Christmas, Grizzlies need to come to San Francisco. MLK, the Warriors need to go to Memphis. And on a Saturday NBA countdown game, Let's make this the marquee matchup. It's the best rivalry. Stop playing, Adam Silver. I know the schedule comes out next week. We need some big moments with Memphis versus Golden State. Mark, you touched on all regular season moments, and we all know that rivalries are built during the playoffs. So, again, the playing situation, Memphis had the upper hand. The Memphis Grizzlies full-heartedly felt that if John Morant didn't get hurt last year in the playoffs, that they could have beat the Warriors. We'll never know. Warriors go on to win a championship. But I think what Draymond said is, is key. When you're not the hunter anymore, you become the hunted, and you're expected to win these games every single night, and you're expected to advance in the playoffs, it's a whole new ball game. They're going to have all these players that had breakout seasons and play really well. They're going to have them all scouted. They're going to be at the top of scouting report now. So now that this team is definitely on the map because they feel like they're next, they are going to have something. You know, it is going to be a rude awakening, but I still believe they're one of the best young teams in the game. Mark, we will see if that schedule change happens, if Adam Silver is listening. <laughs> Still to come on NBA Today, it's the 30-year anniversary of the Dream Team winning gold. Mark Spears on the legacy they left behind. NBA Today will be back in 60 seconds. Welcome back to NBA Today. 30 years ago today, August 8, 1992, the U.S. beat Croatia in the gold medal game in Barcelona. 117 to 85 was your final score in that one, but they wiped the floor with every team they faced during that incredible run. Winning by an average of 44 points en route to the gold, the entire team was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2010. Mark, uh, let's go with you first. What is the Dream Team's legacy? They changed the game across the world. Shout out for David Stern for putting this team together. But I don't think Dirk or Yao or, or, or the world is inspired about basketball if it wasn't for this. One of the greatest teams ever assembled, if not the greatest team ever assembled. I know we debated last week, but I may change my pick. That's the final word.